So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everyone and welcome back to what will be the final episode of the Running Rugby Podcast for 2019, episode 69. I'm here, Archie, as your host, joined with Leo and Toby. We've got the full group in and we're here to recap that final weekend of the Rugby World Cup Japan 2019 and we had the bronze game between New Zealand and Wales and obviously the final England and South Africa and two pretty cracking games if I'm going to be honest. A lot less controversy in these ones, I think. A lot less uh, interference by the refs in any case. But we'll start off with the bronze one because I don't think we'll have the energy boys to talk about this if we start off with the final. Everyone will get a bit over it, which must be why they play it on the Friday night beforehand rather than afterwards. But that was New Zealand versus Wales. 40 points to 17. New Zealand giving a bit of a farewell to some of their players that are heading off, the likes of Kieran Reid, Crotty, Sonny Bill Williams, Ben Smith, all these guys heading off after the World Cup. But they put on a bit of a show for us versus Wales and pretty much outplaying them from the first whistle. Yeah, didn't they just make Wales look really ordinary? So my my immediate thoughts uh, through and following this game was, is this a is this a better New Zealand team? Does this does this group of players gel better as a group uh, compared with what was a sort of rejigged lineup that they that they tried to play throughout this year, rugby championship and the World Cup. Um, these guys just look like an elite unit that have been playing together forever, which is pretty much what they are. And I think that really showed they made Wales look pretty pedestrian. Uh, they're really no match in any of the set piece, any of the um, backline play. They just ran rings around. They they got a few points. Uh, Josh Adams tallying up, I think, seven tries for the tournament, yep, which was the, the final top try scorer. Yep. yep. Um, so, you know, a couple of good individual efforts from Wales, but they too were playing uh, a slightly mixed side, some other, some bench players in the starting lineup and some starters on the bench. Mm. Don't know how seriously they were, they were taking it based on that, but the All Blacks really wiped them. Yeah, interesting that Gatland, after saying it was such a big opportunity, then starts, well... Seemed to be his second string nine and ten combo with Thomas Williams and Patchell, and despite what what Kaif was saying throughout the first twenty minutes of this game, it sounded like it was on um, a love interest story with Reese Patchell, just talking about how much he loved the guy. Um, once he got past that fact, um, they were playing a lot more of an attacking game than they did versus South Africa, but New Zealand just on another level and. I think it's part. I mean, I love watching Ben Smith play, and he was rewarded with two tries. Almost had a third if for a forward pass, um, but he was popping up all through the back line, taking it at first receiver um, on the opposite side of the field at his wing, trying to set people up. You saw his second try; he just stepped back through the majority of Welsh players and went straight through the middle of them. And I think it's those guys, him, Sonny Bill, that they probably miss that can just create something out of nothing and. I think the team that they put on versus England maybe was a bit too dependent off Bowden and Moanga creating something, and they're really great support acts, but whether they can actually 
trigger something themselves. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend that I watched this game because I didn't. I wasn't that interested. I thought the All Blacks <laughs> would kill Wales. But, yeah, you've got to think maybe that combination of, of getting the two tens in there and displacing Ben Smith was a mistake and maybe they should have started the experiment two years ago rather than just this year. But um, I still don't know if, if a full or, or that different lineup for the All Blacks would have been in England on that day mm. in that game. I, I just think England was so brilliant. Um, but you'd have to think maybe they would have got a bit closer. Um, so it's 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 one of those things, the rare mistake maybe from the All Blacks that we don't see it very often. They often you know make the right selections at the right times, and this is this is maybe one of the times it hasn't come off for them. But um, yeah, it's 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 kind of it's a bit sad for someone like Ben Smith who has been the best fullback in New Zealand for the best part of a decade, and um, to go out on this note, I mean he got the win in the bronze final, but. Um, you know, he would have loved to be playing in these big games and now he's off to, to Europe or wherever he's going and there's quite a few guys moving on. Yeah, that the the selections at 10 and 15, I just think that made New Zealand more vulnerable than they have been in the past, you know, almost 10 years really because they've, they've won two World Cups, they've had this solid core of players and they started moving away from that. And like I said, guys like Ben Smith missed an opportunity to really sign off on a high note. I don't think those guys were so far out of form necessarily. They deserve to be displaced. Um, if we were trying something, if if St- Steve Hansen was was trying something a bit different, um, why why this year? Why not two year go two years ago? But why not leave it for the next player, or the next coach? Um, I think they just introduced some young players who are very good individually and have good combinations with their super rugby sides but probably didn't have the the run of games and the run of success to gel which is what a lot of those guys like Sonny mm-hmm. Bill and Ben Smith and Ryan Crotty have, have had for years and that's one of my criticisms of the Wallabies is that we chop and change too much we never cement a combination so no one's really got a winning way about them no one's on a, a run of form carrying momentum the All Blacks almost did it to themselves, which, you know, on, in hindsight, they may regret. Yeah, well, I think Steve Hansen probably felt a bit invincible just from his run over the last several, well, the last decade, really. Um, anything he did just came off, and this is probably the one time where he's made some changes and things haven't just completely gelled and they have stuttered a little bit. And whether that is just a fact that the rest of the world is catching up, that, I mean, people talking about, South Africa winning this and there's still a question whether should they be world number one really with this is is everyone all in that sort of mix those top five really all that close together um but just before we move on Wales obviously have been world number one this year haven't still beaten New Zealand but have been the majority of other sort of top five nations and I don't know there's just something in me that doesn't I don't think I give them the respect that they probably deserve. I mean, two fairly disappointing showings with not showing that much for South Africa and then this just being thoroughly outplayed. It's a bit hard for them. I think they'd go home pretty disappointed with the results in this World Cup. Yeah, you'd have to think so. But, I mean, they've had a pretty stellar year getting the number one for the first time and Grand Slam in the Six Nations. So, yeah, so, I mean, they've had a great year. So I'm sure they'd be very happy with the way they've played leading into this, but... I think key injuries at, at you know, losing um, Gareth Anscombe before the tournament wasn't ideal. 
So that probably paid, played a little bit of a part in this. But they're just that certain team. They're a grinding team. They don't really blow you away with a, the amount of points. They just wear you down. And they play a very strategic game under Gatlin. So you're probably not going to watch them and think, wow, this team's amazing. But they seem to make the right decisions at the right time. And they keep games close. Um, and they play well under pressure. So, yeah, I think probably they've had their golden run this year. And they're probably not going to be as good going forward. And the Six, uh, Six Nations is always very competitive. And the Northern Hemisphere teams are still pressing. Um, but we see again, they, I mean, Northern Hemisphere has won one World Cup now out of nine, I think it is. Um, so they've still got a ways to go when it comes to beating New Zealand, Australia and South Africa at these tournaments. Mm. Yeah. And I guess it's a good farewell, if not the exact one he wanted for Alan Wynne-Jones. has obviously been a stalwart and absolute linchpin for that Welsh team for a long time. But it will be interesting how they change under a new coach, obviously Warren Gatlin leaving to coach the Chiefs next year. So bit of a new page in the history of Welsh rugby. But we'll get on to the World Cup final. That's what we want to talk about. We had South Africa taking down England 32-12, to two tries to none. South Africa getting their first tries um, ever in a World Cup final with their third overall victory. First team to lose a pool game and then go on to win the World Cup final. First team to win the Rugby Championship and then go on to win the Rugby World Cup as well. So all sorts of records being broken here. And... Up the Southern Hemisphere. Guys, we're still doing, just like you're saying, Tobes, the Southern Hemisphere just remains dominant. And it started off a bit short, just kicking lots of box kicks again from Faf, just getting over the penalties. England suffered that early loss with Sinclair going out, and then even before that, their scrum was really under pressure, and that was obviously a point where Springboks, were, despite being the smaller team, being, I think, 20 kilos less than them, still just took advantage and really punished that scrum every chance they got. I think the South Africans really brought the, the fierceness and, and force straight in this match, which we may have mentioned in passing last pod that you, you've got to come out and just dominate this English side that's on a high. They've beaten the All Blacks, possibly played their grand final a week too early, uh, looked a shadow of themselves this week and couldn't really um, compete in a lot of areas, but... Um, the way they came out and dominated early, started putting points on the board, uh, it just it just set the tone. And the South Africans, in my mind, were always the ones who could maybe step up the physicality in a controlled way. They've gone from you know years past being a brutish team without a whole lot of um, tact in in their physicality, but now they're a much more well drilled side. They're very careful where they apply themselves. And it just it just hit all the weak points of the English side. They they had Peter Steph de Toy uh, lining up on George Ford, and there was a there was an article recently. I think it was on Rugby Pass where they highlighted how for five phases straight after half time, Peter Steph de Toy lined up on George Ford, and I think he knocked him down a couple of times and made a tackle another time, and but was right there on him, putting that pressure on. Start of the second half. Reminding him, you know, I'm right here. I'm going to deck you if you try and carry, if you don't get this pass away. And that's just... But in doing so, didn't give away any penalties. Didn't didn't put a shoulder in late just for the sake of making the contact to make the impression. You know, pulled out when the ball wasn't there. So just that balance of being really physical at the right time, but not overplaying it and getting on the wrong side of the ref. 
Um, they got on the right side of the ref in the penalty count in the scrums, and their lineout performed well. They just they had all the pieces going from the get go, and the English just couldn't lift and find anything to counter. And how good was it not seeing England win this? I mean, it was <laughs> a highlight for me. I picked them. I thought they were going to do it. Everything went right for them in that New Zealand game, and they came out losing Sinclair, like you say, early. Things just seemed to go wrong early for them. They really didn't get um, any sort of momentum in this game, really. I mean, Farrell was keeping the minute with the with the threes, but overall, I just I was pretty confident throughout that South Africa would get this done. They just seemed like they're in control. Um, yeah, just guys stepping up in all positions. Mm-hmm. Guys like Mapimpi, I didn't rate that highly coming into this, and he just really stood up, took some key high balls. Colby was just defending like an absolute beast, Guy, getting guys ball and all and just shutting down those wider passes from some of the centers there. Guys like Tuolangi just couldn't get their game going. So, yeah, look, I've I'm struggled to, to think about a team from South Africa that I've liked more than this one. I just think they play the right way. They seem pretty humble overall, um, but they still bring a bit of menace on the field. They don't, like you say, Leo, they keep their head. They don't lose it. They don't push the line too much, but... They play physical, aggressive rugby within the bounds of the game. Um, and then they're modest in victory. And I think overall, you can't say the same about England, but they're pretty losers in this one. Yeah, I think that that humble, um, slightly modest take probably comes from people, the leadership guys like Khaleesi, obviously a very you know humble, um, respectful player. Just, you know, you see him singing his anthem, like absolutely belting it out, 100% hard on his sleeve. Um, and and the coach, Rezzy Erasmus, has has not been taking shots at people through this World Cup. His commentary's been pretty balanced. He, he hasn't tried to knock anyone down. He's just talked about what they need to do, focus on themselves, focus on their plan. And then you get into, like, you know, Farrell with his smug looks at the Harker and Eddie Jones with, you know, constant little chirps and, like, just, just offhand comments that, um, you know, just kind of slyly putting putting teams down. Um, I I think that maybe I, I'm happy to see the South Africans win when they're playing the the high road. Um, they certainly didn't take shots at the English team except on the field where they totally dominated. Well, yeah, England, and it may be just the pressure that South Africa put on them, but they did look a bit all at sorts from the very first kickoff where. Somehow the ball got passed to Ben Youngs and he took the first hit-up of the game so they were without a half-back and then throwing balls over the sideline to no one for a few phases early in that game as well. Was it just a case that, look, they... What Warren Gatland almost said that, yeah, England played their final the week before versus the All Blacks and then it's very hard to turn around with such a huge emotional rush from that and get back to work and play again. I don't know if it was that, but I think that I think essentially everything, like I said, went right in that All Blacks game. I think they were super confident coming into this one. I think Eddie had them believe that they were going to win this game, but they play a certain style of rugby to their systems, and when they those systems don't work for you, when you don't make make progress or score tries early, um, I think they panicked a little bit. I just think that they didn't expect the game to go that way. They saw South Africa play a certain way against Wales. Box played much better in this one. I think they just surprised them a little bit with how how good they were playing, how well they were defending, um, and just England weren't able to recover from that. There you know, is there's, there's th- got to be some toll from such a physical game the week before, but mm. I don't think it was all 
because of that. There is a stat like the majority of like 90% of England's wins over the last couple of years, they score within the first 10 minutes or so in games and get that early sort of head start going ahead. So the fact that while South Africa was sort of attacking for the first 10 minutes, England was holding them out, but then they just couldn't put back on the pressure on attack and South Africa just managed to hold them out even inside their own 22 quite a lot um, in that first half. And on top of that, they lost in areas like the scrum where they have been pretty solid and, and you know, they were losing in their own half, giving away those penalties. So um, that that's just, you know, tickets to points for the South Africans and no plan B from the English. Like no, no um, creativity to try and change up the game plan a bit and, and stifle South Africa, play a bit deeper so the rush defense can't, can't get to you. The, the tactical kicking game didn't really work for them at all. I don't know if that's because Willie LaRue had a much better game this week and was just all over it. As you said, Toby Mopimpi may have been targeted, but he absolutely stepped up, took all the high balls that were sent his way. Um, Jason Colby was throwing himself like an angry badger onto the front of, um, was it Bunapola? And, um, yeah, he took down a toe jay as really well, just with the... Yeah, every, big guy, right. every big guy on the field, he was just taking them just down no the fear. first time. Yeah. That's right. And and so all that worked well. They they marked up well individually. They held the English out for a few phases there. I think leading into halftime when there was a bit of pressure, felt mm. like momentum may swing back. And then they got out of that, I think, points free. So the the end result of that was all these little battles add up to a lot of, you know, knocks, knocks to the English confidence and no, no plan B, no... No creative spark to, to try and bring the game back. They they yanked George Ford early in the second half. So obviously that they weren't happy that that was working. They went back to Farrell at ten and the and the bigger centres, but that that really didn't add the the right counter punch against the South African team that were defending well and and getting the ball out wide and around the English flanks. And I think it was Slade's carry, wasn't it, that led to that second try. He's loose yeah, carry. He loose carry. He dropped and then... that. Peter stepped to yeah. toe, picked it up, chucked it to Colby, who danced his way through four English defenders. Oh, that was so good. Showed, amazing showed tries Farrell. in this, wasn't they? Hmm? Amazing tries. I, that was just an amazing solo effort. And then, yeah, between Mumpimpi and Lacanio Am on the other side, some good ball handling, probably a forward pass just before the kick, but still there's no, been more, more a lot of those that have been let go in this game anyway but and then, flat, mate. and then the unselfish the unselfishness from Lacanio and gather and just yep. floated out for Mapimpi to ensure the try it says a lot about how this team sort of works together and is all about um, the result rather than individual performance and not only rewarded with the World Cup but since then the World Rugby Rewards have come out and their team of the year Rasmus is coach of the year, and Peter Steftatoy is world player of the year. Mm. So that they've got all the accolades. They've been doing it all year, and we mentioned from very early on that not only they they had some pretty strong Super Rugby teams, they had some mixed mixed results, but maybe that's because they were all sort of equally competitive. And they came into the Rugby Championship building, timing everything really well. They had their stutter against the All Blacks. They would have liked to have won that, but you know they'll be happy with how things played out. They they had a fairly straightforward run through the finals mm. and and well, lifted and, and top, topped it right at the last moment. Well, Razzie's sort of put to bed that notion that the World Cup is this four-year cycle of building up to it that sort of Checker and Eddie Jones have talked about a lot. Um, he comes in sort of two years out, maybe even less than that. 
and manages to unite this team that was really in a similar place to what the Wallabies were two years ago, struggling to win 50% of their games and looking at sea and then has united this team together with minimal sort of extra talent that he's brought in or anything. It's the same guys, but just put in play tactics and made a game plan that these guys can execute and take down the best in the world. But they have also resisted the urge to make changes when they didn't win games. Uh, they've sort of stuck with the same guys and in the two-year period, they've really gelled. And that's, you know, that's the coaching and the culture and that sort of thing. They've given a group a chance to bond. Um, you know, they've resisted the urge to change, to tinker with things, pick their best, stuck with them. And, you know, while they're not might not have been a, a cycle in Razzie's mind, I guess his two years at the helm have just seen constant steady improvement and i guess if if we had a whole uh, exodus of south african players then they'd be rebuilding in the next couple of years but i'm not sure they do i think there's quite a few young players in that side well, not the, not a whole lot of experience is going to bail out a lot of them are moving to europe but it doesn't stop them getting picked anyway so it's not yeah, so much of right. an issue for them is is there anywhere mm. in the springboks that you say compared to the wallabies think they have an out and out advantage in skill positions I mean, you'd probably say Pollard. We don't have anyone Fly, yeah. as consistent Fly half, absolutely. as Pollard. Actually, yeah. I, th- I think scrum half. I think Faf- I, I think that's I think a bit Faf- unfair on Nick White. I just don't think he's quite as dynamic and aggressive. Like He's the closest comp, but I don't think he's quite the player with all the, the various skills. Like Faf de Klerk, when he's on... Um, he's he's right up there with anyone else. I think we're still probably a tier below that. Andre Pollard's the obvious one, um, but yeah, I mean maybe maybe we're we're not lacking individual to individual in that many areas. But it's it's I've said it before. It's the team. It's how they bond. It's the culture. It's it's their time in the group together, playing against various sides, training together in various countries and conditions. It's so much in my mind is just how much exposure they have to each other, and you know all that game day experience they get playing as a unit, which the Wallabies haven't prioritised. I think playing at elite level still at number eight we're lacking compared to someone like Vermeulen at number six. We don't have someone that's of the stature or of the work rate of Detoy, um, and even at lock I think those. Yeah, but that in South Africa seven blindside, seven played blindside. But yeah, like as lock lock as well. I think they just got a lot of depth there, and the the four guys that they had lining up on on the weekend, um, you know, we we're getting there in certain areas like lock. But I think yeah, they just they've got so much depth, um, and yeah, they're just jelly and they fired at the right time. I think a lot of our players have the potential to be as good as a lot of these guys, these South African guys. But um, yeah, maybe it's our coaching that's lacking. To, to get these guys up to the, the quality they need to be. Before we go on to Checker and Australia's sort of situation at the moment, one last question. The refereeing, obviously we had um, Garcet in this last one. Were you happy with the refereeing performance in this? A lot of penalties. I didn't, I didn't think he had a good game really. Um but because it went the way that I wanted to and I won money on the game, I wasn't particularly perturbed. If England had won that with just a kicking fest and there weren't any tries, then you'd probably complain a little bit more. I think those last two South African tries 
really sealed the game and, and made it still a spectacle. Um, it was very tit for tat, and I think he did need to maybe put the whistle away a little bit. I just found one thing in particular that he would often, for example, with England, let them play advantage all the way to the South African line, then 20 metres back and keep playing advantage, give them another few minutes and then blow it up and go right back to the one metre out or something from the South African line. The advantage was too long. As soon as you go back that far, you should be blowing it up. And secondly, when a more was or something like that was collapsing, he would just instantly blow it up before it gave any sort of chance for the ball mm-hmm. to come out. Often the ball was sitting there on the side or something and he'd already blown it up for the team that had, had locked down the ball within the mall. So I think that there were certain aspects to his game that needed to be better. Yeah, I noticed that ten, ten, um, tendency to call the balls very quickly and there was definitely at least one where the ball was right there. So that that's sort of not in line with what we think world rugby is going for, which is, you know, more free flowing rugby, like more opportunity to make something of advantage. Um, I I didn't think he had a bad game, to be honest. I'm a bit different to Toby. I I thought it flowed. Okay. I think the penalties early on particularly came from the scrum. And that's probably where my criticism would be best directed that it seemed like, and again, it suited my viewing of the game. It seemed like the South Africans got, the the right of the scrum call very early and it was only much later in the game where it felt like the scrums were being judged on their merits and it wasn't just a a kind of a, a call for South Africa which seems to be some refs just just make their decision this scrum isn't isn't as dominant as the uh, other side so I'm pretty much always going to award this when it's a 50-50 to that side not thinking about who's putting the ball in not thinking about the context of that scrum, how you know how much time's left in the game, who might be trying to muck around, who's really you know needs this ball and wouldn't be in doing anything intentional. Um, that probably took a little bit of momentum off England early on, mm. maybe maybe overbalanced it a little to South Africa. But uh, overall, I think I only saw a few games with Garces in charge, and and he managed that that penalty kicking fest in the in the semi too with South Africa. Um, I think I think he did all right. I don't think it was his worst game, but we could say across the board that all these referees could really use some improvement. Mm. I mean, baffles logic though to see how he got appointed as the number one referee in the world. I mean, that seems like oh, a I, shot. Well, Wayne think, Barnes was ruled out because Wayne he's Barnes English. was much better. But Nigel Owens, like, yeah. clearly better than Garstas. Nigel Owens ref the last World Cup, but apparently got told he wasn't going to ref this one. And then was going to be on the touch line, and then pulled out with a calf strain or something, and didn't even do anything. <laughs> it was also Garces's last match, so he's retired and he's off to be the director of referees in France or mm. something. So it, it possibly we you know we always talk about players and selections. And, you know, is this a swan song? Farewell. Maybe this was his turn <laughs> to to have a farewell game, mm. and you know it's like anything that that happens in you know any sport that. There's there's sort of a something which oh there's all these people who could do it this guy's it's going to be his last chance we'll we'll give him something of, of a send off so that's probably part of it as well um, my personal pick I would have had Wayne Barnes I think I I know he was obviously ruled out for being English and but we, we've done this in cricket we've done this in rugby that you've got to pick They've the best referees I think rugby, Wayne yeah. Barnes is yeah I think Wayne Barnes is, is good enough that he should be considered impartial mm. um, I wouldn't have had any hesitation if it was my choice. Well, World Rugby agrees with you because they gave him Referee of the Year as well. 
um, Wayne Barnes. Well, there you that. go. I didn't know that. In any case, um, for me, I think that, look, I think he was adequate for the game. I think, if anything, he may actually have disadvantaged a little bit England in the fact that he was very no-nonsense at every ruck. He was calling it as a ruck and hands off very quickly. So it didn't particularly allow the Underhill Curry sort of um, mm. tag team to sort the of contest. get any momentum and contest in there. Um, so that's the only thing maybe he benefited for, but otherwise I couldn't really complain much about what he's done. Let's go to Australian rugby and obviously Checker stepped down, firing shots at um, Raylene Castle as he left, saying that he was only coaching the way that Australian rugby wanted him to coach in any case and these were the tactics handed down from above sort of thing. So a uh, few little snipes as, as Checker leaves the, leaves the way and we're entering a new era really for the Wallabies coming into 2020. There's going to be a lot of change. New coach, there's been a few names tossed around. Dave Rennie has been the big name that they've sort of talked about, the Kiwi that's been coaching up in uh, Scotland for the last couple of years, but there's also been rumours that the All Blacks might be after him as well. Yeah, that was the latest, wasn't it, that all of a sudden the All Blacks having uh, not not won the World Cup maybe wouldn't be passing on the mantle to their existing assistant coach as happened with Steve Hansen and immediately were Dave Rennie's name was thrown in the ring. Um, look, the guy, the person who goes to the Wallabies will be someone who chooses to go to the Wallabies over other options, so it doesn't really bother me. Dave Rennie would be a good choice, but um, as, long as, as, long as, it's, um, as long as it's not someone who's maybe tarred by recent times with Checker or, um, or, so, or like the whole conversation about Eddie Jones, I think it was just ridiculous. I'd... I don't think he's so unique and elite that you try and steal him from the English rugby. Um, I don't want to go back to that that um, era of Australian rugby. I think we need a fresh face, mm-hmm. someone maybe with the New Zealand flavour, maybe even someone with South African flavour. I don't know. Yeah, well, they talk about Eddie Jones took like two years to recover from the 2003 World Cup loss um, after we, we went down to England then. So he's had a very similar sort of course here with, obviously beating New Zealand in the semis and then losing, going out in the final. Um, so whether he's even feeling that great, um, apparently he is going to stay on in England. But I think you're right. And I think, as weird as it is, I think that the Wallabies coaching job might actually be a more attractive gig than going to the All Blacks at this stage because the All Blacks have been so top tier for so long that they're almost looking like they might take a bit of a downward swing. And if you're the person to come in now... And you don't re-height them to world number ones almost immediately. You're going to get a lot of people disliking you through um, New Zealand sort of media and fans. Whereas in Australia, there's it's not exactly the highest bar that you're setting to improve a little <laughs> bit on what we're doing now. Where Australian rugby is at rock bottom, there's no way but up. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like you've got a, a clean slate. You could pretty much do anything with Australian rugby now. You could pick any players. You could drop the entire side and start afresh if you wanted to. Whereas you're right, there's so many good players in New Zealand that are well-established. You you would be working with existing pieces. And if you wanted to reinvent the wheel for them, you may find that more difficult. And you might find that any any loss or setback would be viewed pretty negatively by the Kiwis. I would agree and say this is a real transition period for New Zealand rugby. They, they're losing a lot of big names. 
Um, a lot of those coaches that have been there for so long, last 15 years or so, are, are ducking out now. And there's a few, you know, combinations of coaches lining up for this gig, but it's almost like is Warren Gatlin doing the Chiefs thing and kind of embedding himself back into New Zealand rugby and then sweeping in and, and picking up the All Blacks when they've kind of gone through this period and they're ready to perform again. Um, you've got to think that going to the Chiefs is a little bit of a step down from coaching Wales for the last um, however many years and he's taking some time out to coach the Lions as well. So the Chiefs seems like a gig that's very strategic in nature rather than um, you know, something that he's ultimately focused on. I think there's an end goal here that's not the Chiefs, but I don't know which way Australia's going to go with their coaching appointment. I just hope they don't rush um, any sort of decision because there's no need to do that. The Wallabies aren't going to be playing till July. Um, so to try and get it done by Christmas seems like, you know, there's no real point to that. And maybe take a leaf out of the... Uh, whatever the anti-Waratahs book is. And if you're going to make change at the very top, um, then try and make that change and work your way down. Whereas the Waratahs have uh, appointed their coach and then the is it the CEO of the yeah, Waratahs is immediately run off, resigned run off to the Blues. Maybe no more Kiwis in Australian rugby. Let's... Um... Maybe get rid of Raylene too. Wouldn't be too too bad, I don't think. I think that there needs to be a lot of change there. But just reading now, there's a review panel that's going to review the the 2019 Wallabies season. Um, it's made up of a three-person panel, including Scott Johnson, who will be on the side there. You've got Pat Howard coming back in to lead the review with Bo Hansen, who I don't think I've heard of. He's a four-time Olympian, apparently. Can you tell me who Pat um, Howard is? Pat Howard used to be the performance excellence high performance, yeah. And he presided over an era that wasn't that great either. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy around him, I think both in cricket and rugby um, in terms Mm. of the administration. But he's been working with Leicester um, over the last little while. Um, So he's done a former thing there. But, yeah, you've got him. You've got Bo Hansen. God knows who that is, unless you guys know who he is um, or she is. Um, and Nathan Sharp. I mean, this doesn't seem like the three people that need to be leading a review of the Wallabies season. Um, but, yeah, there you go. It seems like another move by Rugby Australia, whoever's appointing this panel, um, that's just, yeah, it looks like it's going to fail again. So hopefully they don't have too much influence around things going forward or coaching selections because I don't think they're really equipped to make those decisions. But, again... We're going to go through this tough period, I think, with Australian rugby. And although we've got a period of maybe eight months or so now until the next Wallabies game, we do have time to appoint someone properly and get the right person for the right job. So let's just, fingers crossed, that gets done correctly. Wouldn't it be interesting to try and get a panel of people who'd been very successful with other international rugby associations rather than more people that sort of are internal and have been around for a while, I'd sort of feel like they wouldn't be able to break out of the, yeah. the you know, the preconceived ideas that they've had. You need like in... independent sort of analysts, yeah, really, like, don't you? I mean, imagine someone from, you know, recent times in New Zealand, like All Blacks level, International Rugby Association, and someone around the, uh, the Springboks, 
maybe a Welsh or English, like let the other nations come in and give a bit of a constructive criticism. You bring those guys on as independents. Um, it would be quite interesting to see what those other sides, the, the other perspectives uh, said about our own effort. And mm. it'd be like bringing in an international coach to bring you on a coach to say he brings a different view of things. Why don't you do that in the review period, review and get a whole wealth of international um, con- um, opinions even opinions that's right sorry yeah and do that at that phase and then say right well the best of all the different strategies of successful teams in the last four years or ten years or whatever it is different maybe different sports but I, st- I think I'd probably keep it within rugby initially if I was getting that international view yeah it's going to be a difficult one and I guess we'll we'll just have to wait and see what happens with Rugby Australia here and who they end up selecting whether we do go back down that Kiwi head coach pathway or whether we're going to steer away and try and keep the Australians going but obviously we haven't had much success in either route um, in recent years just since we are wrapping up Australian rugby for 2019 I wanted your boys your favorite moment from 2019 for Australian rugby not just the Wallabies anywhere in Australian rugby what's the highlight of your 2019 it's a pretty easy one for me um, that win over the All Blacks in Perth is a, a massive thing. Biggest loss the All Blacks have ever had. Biggest margin loss there. Um, our biggest win against them. And I think that was a that potentially was a, a turning point in the year, but we didn't manage to back it up the next week. But in terms of pure enjoyment and, and a highlight for me, that was that was pretty huge. Yeah, absolutely. That was absolutely massive. And Maybe even a bit of foretelling of how vulnerable the Kiwis could be at times. Maybe that's something England exploited. Leo? Yeah, I agree that that, that was a, a massive highlight for the year. Um, I haven't been that excited about this, the Wallabies side uh, in a long time. So that was a, that was a fantastic game to watch, uh, one I'll remember for a long time. Individual stories, I guess. There, there are a few individual stories this year which... Um, some some which were, I suppose, a bit uh, delayed in in you know people's success. But um, you know, shout out to Christian Lelefano, albeit you know we didn't see him completely cement his spot in the Wallabies side. But where he's come from, and and to even be considered in the World Cup squad, and then obviously selected to play some pretty critical games, uh, I think that's just a fantastic individual effort. And um, good luck to him in his next phase where where he's playing. Um, just the journey he's been on is really inspirational. And then a lot of the young guys coming through, again, we didn't necessarily see all these guys selected in in the World Cup squad or even the Rugby Championship, but I just get really excited for guys like Jordan Patea. It was unfortunately out during the year, didn't get to see all the Samu Karevi, Jordan Patea highlights that could have been. But there's so many young players coming through. We saw the success of the under-20s as well, and those guys are going to start filtering into Super Rugby soon. So their success from the under-20s competition where they've played together, beaten the the small blacks or whatever they are, the under-20s side. Um, there's small so much blacks. so much opportunity. Yeah, I think it's the small blacks. <laughs> uh, maybe, we should, maybe we should coin the term. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the next generation. So knowing that's there, seeing that this year coming through, and now because the Wallabies unfortunately haven't been particularly successful, we've got an exodus. Um, there's just so much to look forward to. We've, we've had a bit of a, a, a forewarning um, 
from the under twenties. They're, they're coming and they're going to be taking spots in these Super Rugby sides and and hopefully uh, making four very strong sides for next year and beyond. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I was going to mention the under twenties if no one else did because that's such a big sort of momentum shift that we haven't had in so many years. We also had the Australian schoolboys take down the New Zealand schoolboys this year as well. Um, and Tiny blacks. Small blacks is better, man. I'd, I'd stick to your first. School blacks? Place. School blacks. <laughs> Mate, you're full of it today. Um, but you're right. It leads to so many great storylines. And you're starting to see some of these super rugby squads get announced. I know, Leah, you've been sending me stuff every week about the Red Squad and people oh, like Fraser McWright coming through in that sort of thing. You see the Brumbies squad being announced and they've they've got people like, um, I think it's Ryan Lonigan um, or Lachlan Lonigan. There's two Lonigans in there, but the hooker that was in the under-20 is going to be up there for the Brumbies trying to steal some game time from Falao Fainga. There's a whole bunch of new talent and we're going to have this big, especially for fly half next year, because obviously you've got Tamu uh, is still here, but Foley and Liliofano are both gone. There's going to be this big race to try and find the next talent and whether that's either of the two guys from the Waratahs that were sharing the under 20 sort of um under 20 sort of fly half position with Ben Donaldson and um blanking on Will the Harrison. Will Harrison um or Lalesio that's down at the Brumbies that was leading the Canberra Vikings as well um you've got people like Adam Deegan coming across to the Rebels this year so you've got a Hamish few... Stewart, but still around. Yeah, Hamish Stewart, Isaac Fines are still around. Oh, sorry, not Isaac Fines. Isaac Rodder. Isaac Lucas. Isaac Lucas. Too many oh, Isaac, Isaac Rodder. Rodder. <laughs> Breakout. Here we go. He's signed Here for the Reds. They might go. put in there. Well, it also brings me to another guy I wanted to bring up from coming across from the Force, and that's Isaac Fines, who's now signed with the Brumbies that I mentioned a couple of times for the Force in the Global Rapid Rugby, but he's an absolute gun. Um, a product of Queensland sort of the club rugby system up there, moved across to the force and looked really good, took the job from pretty much prior for a lot of the year um, and I think you're going to see something special coming out of him. I just hope he can make his mark before Nick White gets back in 2021. Uh, just just, just a quick one, Arch. Um, just want to keep an eye on what Saracens are doing. Oh, I mean, yeah, like this fight. last pod for the year. Saracens have been done for or breaches of their salary cap. It's under investigation. They've already been docked, I think, um, 30-odd points or something for this season, so they're in negative points at the moment at the bottom of the table. Um, I'm not sure if there's a chance. Yeah, £5 million fine. I'm not sure if they have a chance of relegation or not because they're doing a funny thing with the Premiership this year where I think they were going to possibly retain all 13 teams from this season. But, um, yeah, it's it's not a good look for them. They've won, I think, three or four out of the last five um, Premiership rugby titles. So they've been a real powerhouse here in Europe. And to see that they've actually possibly breached um, their salary obligations to the to the competition has um, it shook up the rugby world up here. And it's probably one of the biggest stories in Premiership rugby to date. So keep an eye on that. But um, it's going to impact possibly a lot of the England players, guys like um, Owen Farrell, obviously, Maro Toje, uh, a lot of that forward pack there for England, and also um, guys like Elliot Daly who's just, who have just moved to the club. So plenty to plenty to look out for there to see what happens with that. Are you surprised at all at the English players involved? 
no. of like the the top five smuggest players in the inside. I'm pretty sure yeah. they didn't have a hand in the Saracens financial department. Oh mate, they're probably taking handouts left, right, and centre. You know that. Someone like Fowey, such a grub. <laughs> just, just probably the best twelve in the world. But yeah, such a grub. He does Why well to Mark... put his hand out so much when he's playing with no arms. Why does it look like Marku Vunapola is melting? <laughs> you probably cut that out. Jesus. Right, Billy, Billy's got a terrible haircut, but Marco looks like he's literally melting. <laughs> anyway. Hot All summers, right. man. Hot summers. Before yeah, down with Saracens, they may mate. regret, um, I think we should end it there for the year, boys. Come at me, bro. <laughs> Mate, I think him and his brother would both absolutely put you on your back. I'm scared of Billy. That guy's literally insane. Marco, though, I don't know. He just doesn't even look like he should be doing anything. I don't, I'm surprised he can even play rugby. Anyway. <laughs> and yet he's better than you, mate. Better than you. No. <laughs> well, I that don't just... want to be Marco vulnerable. <laughs> Well, that about does it for us for 2019 at the Running Rugby Podcast. We thank you all for listening in for the year and obviously all that World Cup drama and all that spectacle. Um, Obviously, things are going to go a bit quiet for uh, us and in the world of rugby for the next couple of months. We'll keep you updated on social media, on Twitter, at Instagram, at the Running Rugby Pod or Running Rugby Podcast. That's on Instagram and Facebook. Any new signings and any changes within Rugby Australia, especially within the coaching We'll also be waiting and hearing for the Global Rapid Rugby competition because we expect to hear a few more details of that coming out over the next month or so um, with an expanded sort of tournament and schedule hopefully coming out and seeing what Twiggy Forest is going to make out of that. Um, But until then, guys, remember to download and subscribe so you're not missing it as soon as we're back to you in 2020. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, guys. Um, subscribe and download there but from toby leo and myself keep on running run